Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. I am so excited about today's episode of the podcast because I said from the beginning um, when I first started this podcast that we were going to do an episode on breastfeeding. Well, this is it. And I was joined by Amberly Harris, uh, who is a Melbourne-based um, endorsed midwife in private practice with her own breastfeeding consultancy business. So she works one-on-one um, with mothers, uh, pre and postnatally to get them all ready for breastfeeding. And then she's there to support mums um, once bubs arrives. And uh, I actually worked with Amberly when my son was about six days old and I was having some issues and um, she was amazing. She uh, is so supportive, uh, so lovely, and her approach is very much um, individualized support, not a one size fits all um, kind of approach to breastfeeding, which is what I think works so well for her. Uh, so today she talks to me or she answers all of my questions about breastfeeding, uh, all of the questions that came through on Instagram. Basically, if you have never breastfed before, this is going to be your, um, your breastfeeding 101 crash course. And if you have breastfed before, I think that there'll be um, some really helpful information here too, if it's something that um, it's, is likely that you're going to do again. Um, she's also generously offered a discount to her video series. So she's created a video series um, to watch uh, either when you're pregnant or, you know, before you conceive uh, to educate you on everything breastfeeding. And it's not one of those daggy 1970s kind of how to <laughs> breastfeed video. Um, it's a series that is very modern, uh, practical and um, very beneficial. So she's offered a a $20 discount to all of the listeners um, today that purchased through her website. Uh, I will leave a link um, to her series in the show notes. And if you use the coupon code BOOBS20, so that's capital uh, B-O-O-B-S-20, you'll receive the $20 discount. And yeah, I'll put all of that information in the show notes and all of Amberly's contact information and Instagram handle so that you know where to find her. Um, I'm also going to get her back on uh, to talk about her own postpartum uh, experience because we didn't get a chance to cover that in this episode. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to bring this one to you today. It's the first in my You Got This series, which is where I'm going to start chatting to um, experts here in there um, in postpartum industries. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy this one. Um, Leave me a review or a rating if you're listening through iTunes and um, yeah, please enjoy. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, I've really been looking forward to us having this conversation. Um, are you able just to start off and tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do um, with with women? Of course. So my name's Amberly, and I'm an, an endorsed midwife in private practice. I work here in Melbourne and I work with mothers um, in person. I work over the first six weeks to help mothers establish their breastfeeding. But I also do a lot of work for women that are out of my catchment area. We do digital appointments, um, whether that's, you know, interstate or, um, yeah, like all around Australia. And I work with mothers internationally as well. Mm, that's so cool that you like the powers of the internet have 
meant that you can reach so many more um, women and women who are keen to breastfeed. I refer to you as the breastfeeding goddess queen guru because (laughs) you know so much about breastfeeding and boobs and it's just amazing. And I wish that everyone could have access to you um, when they're learning to breastfeed. Can you start off by telling us what some of the benefits of breastfeeding are? Of course. So there's so many benefits across all different areas. There's, you know, obviously like the nutritional and the immune benefits, um, but there's also great emotional and social benefits. Um, There's also really good maternal benefits for us as mothers. Um, So the amazing thing about breast milk is it's this really intelligent system that changes as our babies grow. So it alters in growth factors. Uh, Antibodies is the big amazing one, really, because Mm. it protects our little ones because if we come in contact with a pathogen in our environment, we make antibodies specific to that pathogen. So our little ones either don't get sick or they get a much milder version. Mm -hmm. And that happens for the whole length of the breastfeeding journey. There's also um, a lot about breastfeeding that's about bond and connection. So uh, a lot of the time, our little ones want to go to the breast, not necessarily because they're hungry, but it's how they... Um, yeah, seek closeness and how they feel safe and it's it's home. And mm. so there's just so much about breastfeeding that it really creates this, um, yeah, beautiful relationship between mother, the mother-baby dyad that just is unrivaled. It's just such an amazing way to mother through breastfeeding. It's And, and for any mothers that have, have done it will know that it's like your ultimate tool in your repertoire um, mm. as a way to sort of, yeah, mothering through breastfeeding is, um, yeah, it's just extraordinary. And it's just one of the most amazing experiences that I think we as women are lucky to experience. And of course, it's so beneficial for our babies as well. Yeah, that's so true about being it, about it being um, a great tool in our repertoire, because, <laughs> you know, if they're feeling, if they're a bit fussy, put them on the boob. If they're tired, yeah. boob, hungry, boob, <laughs> thirsty, boob, happy, boob. <laughs> need to do a poo boob um yeah all of the all of the things Mm -hmm. um i was reading some statistics last night which are really old from 2010 which i'm sure you're um Mm. well aware of that show 96 percent of mothers um initiate breastfeeding 39 percent exclusively breastfeed to three months and then less than 15 make it to five months um it's a shame that we don't have any updated figures but why do you think that the breastfeeding rate starts off so well and then drops down so rapidly so quickly? Yeah. Yeah. And they are old stats and I agree with you. It'd be lovely if we had more recent ones, but I actually think that we probably are quite similar to that now. Mm. Um, I would even go as far as saying maybe they're lower than that now. Mm. Um, our initiation rates are amazing, which um, is just tells me that the that Australian women want to breastfeed. They're Mm. so motivated to breastfeed, which is a wonderful thing. But initiation is definitely not our Achilles heel. It's our duration. And I think it's very, it's multifactorial, but I do think it's about, I mean, the two pillars that I think are really important for women with breastfeeding is education and support. Mm -hmm. And so I do think we have got some great education there, but a lot of women don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you, if you were to Google like the search engines on, um, birth classes and then google the amount of women that search breastfeeding um it's just so not the same like women are so um focused on i've got to get this baby out which makes Mm. perfect sense um but really like your breastfeeding your birth rather it's going to go for like one day in your life and your breastfeeding is going to go for a lot longer than that Mm. and so um it's what it's a hard thing because I in my experience the mothers I work with that I say this is so beneficial if you learn some of this if you do some education before you have your baby um but it's hard for them to sit down and and do it because they I understand I I even was that woman myself before I had my first baby I was really focused on the birth Mm -hmm. um so I, I get it but um yeah I do think it's not just about the education I think it's also support Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we just do not set women up to succeed with breastfeeding. There's, mm. there's cultural influence, there's, there's political, there's environmental, um, you know, there's so many reasons why women constantly are basically up against so much to have a successful breastfeeding journey. And, mm. um, yeah, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to keep, to make it, to get it established. 
Um, and really my whole, I have a six, six, two movement and my whole focus is to help women over the first six weeks because um, statistically, if you get through the first six weeks of breastfeeding, you're likely to go on and have a long breastfeeding journey. But if we can't get through that first six weeks, well, obviously we're not going to be able to go on and um, yeah, achieve our goals. Mm. And so what's sort of the number one piece of advice that you would give um, a woman who wants to breastfeed? Oh, I can only give her one piece of advice. <laughs> I know there's lots, but <laughs> um, you can give more than one. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Thank you. Um, no, I think I would probably just go back to my, my two main pillars, which is about do some education before you have your baby. It's going to make you so like one step ahead of the game so that when you give birth, and you're about to do that first breastfeed because breastfeeding starts the minute after you've given birth, mm. you're going to know what's going to happen. So if you do some education beforehand, that's going to really help you. Mm -hmm. um, and then support is a huge thing. I recommend all mothers look into someone that they, there's lots of different midwives or lactation consultants that specialize in helping women with breastfeeding. Um, but like in my case, for example, I only take on three package clients a month. So I get booked up well in advance. Mm. Um, and so breastfeeding and I don't think is one of those things that you just fly by the seat of your pants and just go I'll just see how I go mm. I think it's not about sort of um you know it's it's about prevention over cure so if you can connect with someone before you have your baby that you really trust and you know everyone we all resonate with certain people so find someone you really like their vibe and um, and hopefully have have a, engage with them, have a conversation, do some education with them, so that once you've had your baby, um, you can get some support with them. And it's like right at the beginning, as opposed to just going, well, I'll wait and see when things. If I need it, there's a lot of a lot of mothers will say that oh, I'll I'll contact you if I need it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like I think it's actually not about that. It's about let's learn everything the right way from the start. Um, and then yeah, you're going to be far less likely to encounter challenges. Yeah. And so you mentioned that there's quite a lot that can impact um, the success of your breastfeeding in the first few kind of days and weeks. Mm. Um, what are some of the things that could potentially derail things? Mm. The main reason why breastfeeding is challenging for mothers is if they don't get positioning and attachment right. A mm. lot of issues with breastfeeding actually stem from that. So when I say positioning and attachments, it's how you sit yourself, how you position your baby, and then how the, your baby actually attaches to the breast. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't got a good understanding of that and, and you aren't taught how to do that properly, that can affect like everything. It creates, you know, if babies aren't attached properly, that their mothers can get nipple damage. That's really painful. Um, they can have their, their breast isn't evenly drained, so they can be at risk of blocked ducts or mastitis. Their baby isn't taking in a full volume, so babies might lose weight or, um, you know, experience jaundice. Like all these things come from if their position and attachment isn't right. So that would be the main thing. Get Learn that, get that mm -hmm. right from the start. One of the things that I found a bit challenging in hospital was um, the midwives, you know, were super supportive of breastfeeding, but every, each midwife, you know, I saw probably 10 in, you know, a couple of days and a lot of them had different ways of doing things. Um, and I found that a little bit, I know it was, they were trying to be helpful, but I found it really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you sort of know when you've got a good latch and um, good attachment and you're, you've, you're positioned well? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. And I think that you're not alone. The majority of mothers, that's like the number one complaint for women postnatally when learning how to breastfeed is conflicting advice. It's, mm. it's really, it's really terrible. Like I really feel for women. So again, I probably think maybe that goes back to um, my thoughts on connecting with someone that you trust before mm. you have your baby and find that one reliable source of support that hopefully is evidence-based and they're going to help you um, and teach you about breastfeeding. Cause then you're not having to worry about all these other people's opinions. You're like, look, I'm just focusing on my person that I really, um, you know, really appreciate everything they say. And yeah, I trust them. 
Um, the thing with something like attachment, um, attachment, I recommend um, something called baby led attachment, which is when you try and let your baby do the breast crawl and self-attach. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't always work. There's plenty of mothers that need to shape their breasts and help their baby get on properly. Um, so a lot of the times that this stuff that I'm saying, I can't sort of give a general everyone just do it this way. Yeah. Um, so that's why I would just say find someone that you can work with one-on-one. -on -one. Um, even I, I do this on a lot of my digital appointments, we can still make it work. Um, or I have a video series where I send mothers so that they can see what it all kind of looks like mm -hmm. and it helps really solidify that knowledge. So yeah, that would be my main suggestion just to negate that whole conflicting advice thing. Have yep. someone teach you about positioning and attachment. Yeah. And I think it's really important and I'm sure like everyone listening to this, if you're, if you've never breastfed before, even if you have go and get Amberly's video series, because um, <laughs> it's a wealth of knowledge, but it's so good to see other people breastfeed. Like I had never yeah. seen anyone breastfeed before I had my son yeah. and yeah, it's, it's a shame that it's not more common. Um, but yeah, just seeing other women breastfeed would have been so helpful to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that, that looks how I, like I, how, how I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that's a huge point, Steph. And I actually say to mothers, like, because that's often the case, we are the first baby we see breastfeed is our own baby. Mm. And so if you feel comfortable when and you're a breastfeeding mother or before you've had your baby, maybe just say to yourself, when I have my babies, I am with my girlfriends, like any women in your social circle, even if they're the women in your family, like your nieces, or that are, even if they're not even near going to be breastfeeding age, but let them say to them, come sit with me, watch this, watch how I get my baby to attach mm. and, and not like watch from the other side of the room with like a, a cover or anything like that. Like mm. literally sit next to me and look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to shape my breast like this. I'm going to wait. Look, baby's going to open their mouth this wide. I'm going to fan their lips out, like talk them through it mm. because that lesson like that, if you think about it over the years, like there's amazing parts of the world where women learn about breast feeding mothering from the other mothers or the other women in their family it's passed down it's wisdom passed down through generations mm. and it's not that for us i know and we've so lost it we've lost it and mm. we can bring it back because i honestly so much of the stuff with breastfeeding i honestly think the answer lies in women supporting mm. each other mm -hmm. we can teach each other so much we can share milk with each other which mm -hmm. is a big thing that i promote as well um, obviously safe ways to do it. And I go through that with women, but that we are, we are the answer. Like we rule the world. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think so much of this, we can actually, yeah, we don't need anyone else. We just need each other. Yeah. And I think that you have a good point there about if you are breastfeeding to, to try and show someone, because I've like, I feel like people are probably trying to be polite but I know that yeah. when I breastfed in front of family and stuff they would sort yeah. of leave the room or yeah. they didn't want to stare at you they didn't want to look creepy um yeah. and you know there's a fine balance between <laughs> being yes. creepy and just being interested um but yeah I think that's a really good point that if you are feeding try and show someone yeah. <laughs> okay look at me yeah, yeah exactly yeah obviously they've got to be receptive to it and hopefully yes. they are um, <laughs> Yeah, and it's not your creepy uncle that you're yeah. like, I don't want to teach you about breastfeeding. No, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. as women, I think as women, we can definitely do it um, for each other. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about um, poor attachment and nipple pain and nipple damage. And, um, you know, obviously that sort of affects a lot of women when they're first starting to breastfeed. And I remember um, just almost crying when my son attached in those first few days, just, yeah, like it wasn't good. But then I guess I'm wondering how, how do you know when pain is kind of normal to a degree, just that your nipples aren't used to being um, sucked on constantly? Yes. Yes. Um, and how do you know when you might have um, more of an issue going on? Yeah. Okay. So your nipple has to lengthen three times its normal length to get back to the right spot in your baby's mouth to get on properly. Mm -hmm. So if people want to follow on with listening, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you'll find the hard palate and then take your tongue back about two thirds of the way and it'll go soft. I'm doing That's it right now. Good. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's the soft palate. So that's where your baby draws your nipple. It's a long way. It lengthens, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, a long way. So what happens is it basically all the collagen and the elastin fibers in your nipple are firing off and, and your, your, your nipple learns to lengthen. But before you've had babies, your nipples not have to do this. Mm. So yes, there is a, a time when breastfeeding is not super comfortable. That attachment pain, it takes about 10 to 20 seconds for your baby to draw the nipple back to the soft palate. And it's quite a strong pinching, stabbing kind of sensation because your, your nipples repeatedly hitting your baby's hard palate. Mm -hmm. So that is to be expected that it, it, it's not very comfortable at the start. Um, but what you should be able to differentiate in time, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, but it takes practice is that you start to work out that, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can feel that strong pinchy stabby kind of uncomfortable feeling. And then after that 10 to 20 seconds, it's different. Mm. I can still feel this strong drawing sensation. My, my baby's definitely sucking, but that pain has gone. Mm -hmm. So, and that's just a matter of having that knowledge there, having someone explain it to you, maybe having a midwife talk you through and the time frame that they would expect that, yep, I can see your baby's on properly now. Mm -hmm. And that's just the more you do it, the more you're like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, I can tell the difference. Now, if mm -hmm. that pain doesn't go away, if you get that 10 to 20 seconds in and you're like, nah, it's just pinching the whole time then your baby is probably not on properly. Your baby's nipple feeding, not breast feeding. So mm. you want to use a clean finger, insert it into the corner of your baby's mouth, break the suction, and then try again and wait for them to do that big wide open mouth. So mm. it's just a matter of practice. The other thing that can be a bit misleading is that some mothers will get nipple damage and it's not because their baby isn't on properly. It's just because their skin type means that, yeah, they end up getting some grazes or they get some cracks and um, it's just that the, the nipple and areola, remember, it's this amazing part of our anatomy that's designed to learn how to breastfeed. Mm. Um, but it can withstand a lot in the first few days and weeks of breastfeeding. So sometimes you can have some damage, but it doesn't always mean that things are wrong. Um, mm. But that's why I always say you need good products. You've got to be able to have good products there to accelerate wound healing. And that's why I've, I've made a nipple butter, which is amazing. It's full of herbs, very mm -hmm. specific herbs to help with wound healing. So I usually say to mothers, have something like that, not knowing if you're going to need it, but even if you don't need it, use it as lip balm or you can use it as like a mm. nappy um, rash cream or you can use it for sunburn, you can use it for anything. But you don't want to find yourself in a situation in the first few days where your nipples are sore and you need to apply something and you haven't got it and you've got to, you know, wait for postage or whatever. So I think mm. sometimes investing in, you know, a $20 pot of nipple butter is, is going to be like make the world of difference for your nipples at the start. Your nipple butter is amazing because I've <laughs> used it myself. Um, <laughs> and I actually, um, I had the um, lanolin, lanzol yeah. or whatever Lanzano, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really do much for mm -hmm. me. And literally within using, with, within a couple of days of using your stuff, my nipples healed. And I'll talk a bit more Yay. at the beginning of this episode about when we worked together when my son was first born. But, um, right. yeah, nipple butter, good stuff, herbs, good. all the good things. <laughs> yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about bottles, dummies, and formula introduction, when to start that if you're going to when not to do it and how it all plays a role in, in establishing your breastfeeding. Yeah, for sure. So dummies and bottles are, are both, I would say, to wait the first six weeks um, mm -hmm. because both of them will negatively impact your breastfeeding in, in some ways, mo most likely to. Um, dummies, because a very young baby will love to suck, and so um, they can easily be tricked and you can pop a dummy in their mouth and they'll suck very happily on the dummy, but meanwhile they're actually hungry and they mm. should be stimulating your breasts and sending more messages to the milk-making cells to say, I need to make more milk right now. So from six weeks of age onwards, though, babies are very smart and they know where their milk comes from and they, will, they are much more likely to just spit the dummy out. But a younger mm. baby, we don't want to do anything that's going to compromise milk production because it takes that first six weeks to bring in your full milk supply. Mm. So that's why the dummy can be problematic. Um, I also find that breastfed babies, often they don't have a huge interest in a dummy by six weeks because they really love what breastfeeding brings to 
to you know their life so um but nonetheless you'll find to introduce one if you want to um but i would just say wait for six weeks before you do that and it's just always appropriate timing with the dummy not when you know your baby's otherwise hungry because then you could put yourself at risk of block ducts or mastitis if you're using the dummy and not feeding mm. uh, with bottles similar thing wait till your baby's six weeks old because we want your baby to learn how to breastfeed yeah. And the bottle is a totally different suck reflex. It's really effortless. It just flows into their mouth. And so um, I, I, in, in my experience, I've worked with a lot of babies that have developed a preference for a bottle in the first six weeks and they've ended up refusing to breastfeed. And it's just devastating for mm. mothers to do this great work to establish breastfeeding, but also be using bottles at the same time. And, um, you know, it makes sense that babies just go, oh, well, breastfeeding's so much more work. So I'm just going to go for yeah. the bottle. Um, so yeah, that's why I would say wait for six weeks and then it's still about appropriate use of the bottles. You wouldn't sort of go for a whole heap of bottles every week. Um, yeah, because you, you would want to keep your breastfeeding going. Um, sorry to interrupt, but all of, all of those things as well, as you mentioned, affect, um, your supply. So, um, if you're, um, actually I'll get you to explain it because you're the professional. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I guess what I mean is when you're sort of supplementing feeds with formula um, in those yeah. first six weeks or even in those first few days, that's all impacting your supply. So can you talk Absolutely. a little bit more about supply and demand and how that all works? Yes. Yep. So, yep. So with the, the dummies and bottles, I say for the first six weeks, Um, In terms of when to introduce formula, that's sort of in its own category, I guess, because Mm. you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter when you introduce something like formula, it will affect milk production. Mm. And that's because um, depending on the type of formula, but most of the formulas on the market are a cow's milk based formula. Um, And so with breast milk, the gastric emptying time is about 90 minutes. And with formula, it's three times longer than that. It's about four and a half hours for a cow's milk formula. Mm -hmm. And so if you've given your baby a dose of formula, they're going to have that milk, that yeah formula sit in their tummy for much longer than breast milk. So it means by the time the next feed comes around, your baby's probably not very motivated to breastfeed. And then you might sort of go, well, you didn't really feed properly. Why didn't you feed properly? Do I need to top you up again? Like, mm. And it sort of starts this whole cycle. Yeah. It also does alter your baby's healthy gut flora and it can affect their digestion a lot. So, um, you know, these are all things that... Um, some mothers are happy having a portion of formula involved and they're they're like I'm okay to mix feed Mm -hmm. and what I think is important is that you just have all the information know that mothers who mix feed statistically don't go on and breastfeed for as long as a mother who exclusively breastfeeds and it's just because they have more challenges with their milk production and Mm. um, yeah maintaining their milk supply um, and definitely babies can have a lot more issues with constipation and yeah, and their gut and wind and everything like that. So yeah, these are all just things that I'm all about just having all the information. There's a place for formula and, um, and I do work with some mothers who are not open to milk sharing or milk donation. So they mm-hmm. choose to give formula if their baby needs extra milk for, you know, jaundice or slow weight gain or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do is I'm very specific in the way I help women phase out formula as soon as possible because yeah, the mothers, um, a lot of the mothers I work with want to follow my 662 movement, which is about exclusive breastfeeding. So about mm. using the formula um, to bridge a gap and then working on phasing it out as soon as possible. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of women don't understand or don't know um, in those early days where your milk is still sort of waiting to come in and you've just got your colostrum that um, I know for me personally, um, when my son was feeding, I think on like day two, my milk didn't come in till day five, but, um, on day two, he was really fussy and, you know, you sort of have that moment of, oh, is he getting enough? And then there's that temptation to offer formula. Um, but really what he's doing is just working to bring the milk in and to boost supply and that that's totally normal. And, you know, his stomach is very small in those early days, so it doesn't need heaps. Is that, that's right, right? Yeah, that's (laughs) absolutely right. That's so perfectly explained. Um, Yeah, I mean, Mother Nature has thought this through. Our babies are born with very small tummies. They're the size of a shooter marble. So they drink about two to seven mils of colostrum in the first few days. And they are absolutely fine on that. They don't need more. Mm. Um, 
And that's because they are born with a specific type of fat called brown fat, which is the fat that they lose in the first few days whilst they're waiting for the milk to come in. So they put on these extra fat stores in utero. And so, um, yeah, it's all perfectly worked out. And so then our babies, yeah, exactly, you know, what Sunny was doing, they work really hard to bring in the milk. So they feed very frequently and mm. it's exhausting. Mm. Like it's not easy, but it's actually very important that we follow our baby's lead because yeah, that's what happens is they bring in our milk supply. And mm. um, yeah, so there's really no reason for formula. Unfortunately, there are a lot of hospitals that I do find will push for formula. Mm. Um, some, are, some are great. Some are very pro breastfeeding, but in my experience, a lot of them, there is many, unfortunately, that are just about, oh, your baby's unsettled, so why don't we give some formula? Mm. So um, I think that's all, always about you as a mother having all the information and being able to say, no, this is really normal. My baby's <laughs> weaning and my the weight is fine and my baby's just trying to bring in the milk. And no, thanks, I don't want more sleep. I want my baby to do its thing. So. And, and here's my antenatally expressed colostrum that I'll be <laughs> <Exactly>. giving him <laughs> instead of formula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to do a bit of myth busting. Yeah. Um, I had a midwife tell me that I would be able to breastfeed because I had big tits. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. She was wow. very, very blunt and upfront. She and was. <laughs> yes. Um, does the size of your boobs mean that you will have more milk? No, okay. <laughs> it just doesn't. No, it do, your your milk ducts are what's what's where your milk production happens, and they're inside your boobs. Mm. So just because you have big boobs doesn't mean you have lots of milk ducts. And in the same way, if you have small boobs, it doesn't mean that you don't have many milk ducts. Mm. Um, that milk production is more based on. So there's three stages of lactation. It's called lactogenesis, the process of lactation. Um, so the first stage happens in pregnancy, which is when under the influence of pregnancy hormones, our boobs get bigger. They, mm -hmm. they, they change. They, the nipple and areola gets darker. So these are all really positive signs for your breastfeeding journey is if your boobs change in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And then the second stage happens when our milk comes in and every mother's timing is different, but it's around day three to five. Normally some women, it's this really obvious event that they feel like they've had breast implants, their boobs are huge. Mm. And then for other mothers, it happens over several days where their <clears throat> breasts fill and it happens like a slow process. So that's the second stage of lactation. And then the third stage happens when our babies are about two to three weeks of age. And it's when they basically get back to their birth weight. So there's nothing much we can see. But what's happened inside our boobs is we've shifted from making transition milk to mature milk. Mm -hmm. So those are what that's what matters. That moving through those three stages of lactation is what's going to help you work out: Have I got a good milk supply? Have I got enough milk for my baby? Mm -hmm. Not how big are my boobs? <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, good to know. <laughs> um, now this is something that you have um, spoken about on Instagram recently, mm. and. It's about how feeding, well, this is the myth, feeding beyond six months has no benefits. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know this is something that you're super passionate about. Um, and it's information that's given to women a lot of the time by mm -hmm. um, doctors. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Have I just wasted a year and a half breastfeeding <laughs> my son? <laughs> no way. You've done the most amazing thing for your son by breastfeeding him. So the World Health Organization guidelines are exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months and continued breastfeeding. So food and solids until a child turns two or beyond. Mm -hmm. And that's because that is evidence-based information on the benefits that breast milk plays in a child's life until two. Mm -hmm. So the information that unfortunately um, a lot of women are receiving is that from six months, oh, I've heard all sorts of things from six months, from four months, after 12 months, like breastfeeding just stops doing anything. It's like a total mm -hmm. waste of time. There's mm -hmm. no benefits. Um, that's totally inaccurate information. Um, for as long as a, a little one breastfeeds for, they get benefits from breastfeeding. Um, and that's because like I was touching on earlier, breast milk changes as a baby grows. Um, the reason also that breast milk is super beneficial in the second year of life, um, and I really harp on about that because a lot of Australian mothers anyway, 
um, sort of have this sort of goal to breastfeed until their child turns one. Mm-hmm. It's a really common age. Um, and the thing to remember is that in the second year of life, most of our babies um, are then toddlers and they're mobile. So mm-hmm. they come in contact with so much more in terms of colds, gastro type bugs, ear infections. So the, this, this amazing thing happens from an immune perspective with breast milk in the second year of life. It, it, the antibodies actually go up a lot. So our little ones either don't get sick or they get a much milder version. So mm. it's, it's massive. And so for a doctor to say that there's no point in continuing breastfeeding, um, look, it kills me, honestly. Mm. It crushes me every time. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I honestly do wonder if they are pushing another agenda and if it's lining their pockets because some of them are recommending formula. Mm. And I'm just going to put that out there. I'm actually <laughs> at the point where I think that it has to be about mm. a different motivation because why on earth would we not be protecting and promoting breastfeeding relationships when it's the benefit of our, our health, you know, as a species, the cost to our healthcare system, the economy, like there's so many benefits for mm. us. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's just important that women look into it. And if you do, you are on the receiving end of information like that, hopefully you've done your research yourself and you can just go, I am just going to ignore all of what you've just said. Yeah. Oh, it's, it'd be super frustrating for you. And, you know, I feel frustrated hearing mm. that. And mm. someone did tell me that, um, that doctors, the, the amount, the time that they've spent learning about breastfeeding is about five or six hours worth of yeah. study. So, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. a lot. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a training thing. And I have actually had some GPs write to me on Instagram to say a lot of this is because we get very little training. Mm. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but the thing with medicine, it's the same with midwifery is um, there's, it's about doing no harm. Okay. Mm. So that not only are you supposed to do good, you're supposed to do no harm. And, um, that's doing harm. That's just totally, um, yeah, that's not good advice. So that's the part that, that I find really hurtful. I just, I just think if you don't learn, even in your five hours of breastfeeding, at least learn the duration of how long breastfeeding is beneficial because Mm. the majority of women that go to their GP, um, don't need to be told that you can stop breastfeeding like mm. now. Like they, I think they should be supported on their breastfeeding journey to say, you're doing such an amazing job. It's a, it's a huge amount of work, but I totally applaud your efforts and keep going. Yes. And if you don't know about the benefits, mm. don't make something up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I had lots of questions come in through Instagram, so I'm going to try and fire some off at you um not not that sounded scary it's not going to be scary um you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier um actually I might just skip that one but it was what are the differences between breastfeed uh, breast milk and formula and so you did kind of touch on that earlier um I think the main difference is like, I mean, they will, the formula companies will argue that it's the same nutritionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And while it can mirror some aspects of breast milk, the thing that it can't mirror is the fact that breast milk is a a living fluid and it changes all the time to Mm -hmm. adapt to our baby's needs. In summer, in the warmer months, breast milk changes to have more water in it. Um, So it's more thirst quenching for babies. If they're sick, there's much more antibodies. I mean, antibodies cannot be synthesized. Like, antibodies are only in breast milk um so yeah the thing is there may be parts of formula that they they can claim does good things um but it will never be the same it just it's not even comparable Mm. um and especially to most of it is made for a completely different species it's made for cows so -hmm. it's great for baby cows it's not great for human babies our milk is the most amazing thing that is the best thing for our babies Mm. it's magic yeah (laughs) What are some tips um, if you've got, if you're breastfeeding with a teething baby, um, how to sort of stop any bad latching habits or damage? Yeah. So you need to teach your baby not to bite at the breast. And that's um, a tricky thing to do. Um, but that if they're, if they're biting, if that's what they're meaning, or if they're, I don't know if they're more referring to the, that the way that their teeth can rub your nipple and areola, and that mm. makes it really sore as well. 
Um, so yeah, basically having the having the the little lesson on no biting, don't no telling them no, breaking the suction, taking them off, mm-hmm. explaining you can have milk but you can't bite mummy, and then mm. bringing them back to the breast. Lots of positive reinforcement when they're feeding properly. Mm. Um, and in addition to that, I would say yeah, you need to have some good products to help your nipples heal because all through the breastfeeding relationship, we can have times when our nipples get damaged. It's not just about the first few weeks. Um, sometimes yeah, there can be a feed that you know. In the middle of the night, when everyone's tired, your baby doesn't quite get on properly and they can do a bit of damage. Um, but the cool thing is that, you know, the nipple and areola does have this amazing ability to heal mm. in a much quicker way than really any other part of our anatomy. So um, it, it does get better. Um, and definitely teething doesn't need to be a reason to wean, even though a lot of women think, well, you just would wean them. Mm. Um, if your baby's feeding properly, they can't actually get their teeth around to bite. So if they've got a good proper attachment, their teeth are well out of the way. So it's mm. just about, yeah, teaching them that and, um, yeah, continuing on and knowing you're doing a great job. Mm. Um, one of the questions that came through was, should I wean my toddler before my new baby arrives or try to tandem feed? Um, And I think with this question, it may depend on how mum is feeling. Um, Because I, yeah, I know that there's some women that can um, feed while they're pregnant with no issues and then others have lots of pain and reduce supply and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of things that come with that. So it just, it's really just depends on what do you want to do? Yeah, as a mum, mm-hmm. like, do you, would you really like to tandem feed? Um, so first it's what, what, what works for you? What works for your toddler? Because yeah, we, we can have a plan that we really want to tandem feed, but our toddler might not continue breastfeeding through a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things, yeah, that also happen. So yes, nipple sensitivity is huge in pregnancy so that can make it harder to continue breastfeeding um i personally found that really hard but i my motivation was was huge that i really wanted to tandem feed if if my toddler wanted to continue so mm-hmm. um sometimes with things like that you're like oh this is really unpleasant but you just push through it because it's important to you mm-hmm. so it's not to say that you can't do it but it's about being prepared that this is probably going to be hard mm-hmm. um and your supply changes so your your breasts stop producing mature milk for the toddler around the fifth or sixth month of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and then you start making colostrum in readiness for the baby in utero so some toddlers wean when that happens some of them lose interest some of them don't like the change in taste that pregnancy can bring so um, if you get through all of these things and you have your baby and your toddler still breastfeeding tandem breastfeeding is an amazing experience it's a wonderful way to, to parent to teach your toddler that there's another person in the world and they need to make space for them. It's mm. also awesome from an immune perspective um, because the toddler will have got two rounds of colostrum. And mm. in my experience, I don't know many, but my son and any of my other girlfriends that tandem fed, um, the babies I know that have got two rounds of colostrum are amazing from an immune perspective, like incredible. <laughs> Never sick. <laughs> they, exactly. They have superpowers, these kids. Yeah. So um, if, you know, that's working, it's a great thing to do. But it also means that, yeah, if your toddler, usually the toddler is more likely to be the one to bring home maybe a cold or something like that. Mm. Um, if they're both breastfeeding, um, you're, you support your new baby in a different way than if you were just breastfeeding the new baby um, mm. because of that saliva exchange with um, with any pathogens. Um, the toddler's um, yeah direct contact with breast milk through saliva is going to make those very targeted antibodies. So yeah, your baby will probably not get sick at all. So there's so many benefits to doing it, but yeah. um, it's it's there's a lot to it. Yeah, yeah it's com- it, yeah, it's complex. It it's yeah yeah it is but it's it's amazing one of honestly greatest experiences of my life tandem feeding yeah and you've um shared some beautiful photos as well on your instagram of you feeding both your kids and it's just like (laughs) (laughs) thank you it's making me have a letdown (laughs) um what's some advice for um increasing or maintaining milk supply when you're pumping at work Okay, so um, you need a really good breast pump for one. So I'm always recommending a double pump. Um, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're expressing work or if you're not, 
double pump, you're going to get more milk if you're expressing from both boobs at the same time because your letdown reflex happens in both breasts. So you're going to send more stronger signals to the pituitary gland, which is where your milk, your hormones basically are released. Um, and you're going to spend half the time expressing and your time is very important when you're at work or wherever you are. Um, so you need a good pump. Um, you also would, depending on your supply, some mothers do really well expressing and have no issues. And there's also plenty of mothers that have trouble um, getting good volumes on a breast pump. So um, some of the women I work with, I might suggest that we do something to bolster their supply to help them get more on the pump. Mm -hmm. um, so whether that's bringing in like a subtle galactagog, like some lactation cookies or lactation tea, brewer's yeast tablets, things like that. And I'll give them a specific plan on how to take them and the type mm -hmm. of expressing to do um, to sort of cover that. Um, in addition to that, take, uh, if you've got photos on your phone or take some of your baby's clothes or something like that and look at them when you're expressing because it will stimulate your letdown reflex and help your, help your milk to move. Mm. Yeah. When I went back to work, I had a little room to pump in and um, some friends at work had um, printed out some pictures of my son <laughs> from my Facebook yeah, and stuck yeah. them all around the room. <laughs> Because it is, it is really strange to pump in an office if you don't have, like, I had a yeah. specific room, but I, I knew that next door to me was, you know, someone <laughs> working at their computer and it just feels really odd to like yes. get your boobs out at work. Um, yeah. So it was nice <laughs> to have those photos around. So good. Um, what do you wish more mums knew about breastfeeding? Hmm. What do I wish they knew more of? Um, I probably find the, I hear a lot of mothers say, I wish someone told me how hard this was going to be. You know, mm. no one told me this, no one prepared me for this. So, um, I probably think it's best to not go into any experience, I guess, in life thinking that someone should have told me this mm. because we don't know what your experience will be like. Um, so I think it's just all always about just going into something, being as prepared as you can, but also open to the fact that, you know, this is going to be a, a really steep learning curve, but it's so worth it. Mm. And it's, it's also going to be one of, it's going to be one of the hardest things you do, but it's going to be one of the greatest things that you do. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably the best thing is just having an open mindset and being, yeah, being motivated and excited about the challenge that lies ahead. And I think that's one of the things where you get, you understand breastfeeding is a natural thing. So therefore you kind of assume that, you know, your baby's just going to come out and latch perfectly and it's all mm. going to be fine. Whereas, you know, I say, kind of say that it's a learned skill and, it's almost like learning a dance. Like both of you yeah. need to learn the steps and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just... Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. And it, and yeah, you know, someone, women, I love the power of storytelling is fantastic. And women will say, you know, this happened and this happened, but you know, you might not necessarily have that story. There's so much that can come with breastfeeding. So I think it's just mm. a matter of just, yeah, going into it. Um, and yeah, being prepared to just figure it out with your baby. Mm. If you've successfully breastfed one child, um, is it a guarantee that you're going to be able to breastfeed your next, you know, without any issues? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily a guarantee, but if you've, breastfed before, <laughs> if you've breastfed before, you will do very well. Like, you you know, you're not learning for the first time. You're mm. learning your new baby and, it, and you, your baby's not going to be like your first or, you know, your other babies. Um, so there's still a lot to learn, um, and, but you won't necessarily have the same things happen, but you know, you will do very well. Mothers that have breastfed before are just, uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing at breastfeeding subsequent babies. Um, what are some tips for breastfeeding a 10 month old who is starting to get more full on solids? So I guess the question is to continue breastfeeding. Is it sort of normal for them to feed a bit less when they're eating more? Solid. Yeah, absolutely. Often it happens, depending on the baby, like closer to that 12 month mark, um, babies will kind of shift gears and breastfeeding will take on a secondary role. Still a very important one, um, mm -hmm. but they start to increase their appetite for solids. So yeah, some babies do that before 12, um, 12 months, which is absolutely fine as well. Um, so that's so fine. It's all that is important is that, yeah, you can continue maintaining that breastfeeding relationship. So 
Um, maybe that's, you know, your night feeds or when your baby's before or after a nap and they're a bit more sleepy, you might find that they're more open to, to feeding then, but it's just kind of prioritizing the importance of breast milk. Um, yeah, at that time. How can we normalize breastfeeding of toddlers and children as well as babies? By doing it in public more or sharing photos. I love sharing photos on my feed about toddlers because we're so used to them. We're so much more accepting of younger babies. So I think it's just about being, you know, being comfortable about it ourselves so that we can show the world that this is totally normal. Mm. Um, And yeah, just talking about it, opening up conversation about, you know, instead of, um, you know, I hear a lot of people are like, oh, you know, are you still breastfeeding? Mm. Um, And it's, it's, I know you can say still in a positive way, like you're still breastfeeding, Mm. but it's more the negative way. Like, Mm. and so I think it's more about going, well, of course I am like, no, I'm not still breastfeeding. Like it's a negative thing. Like, um, yeah, I'm so proud of what we're doing where my goal is to reach, you know, two years or whatever your goal is, if it's longer than that, I, I fed well beyond two years with mine, but, um, you know, it's just about making, yeah, I think it's about talking about it and just being, share, sharing it with, with each other. Hmm. Um, what are some signs of a tongue tie? So you can look in the baby's mouth and see the presence of a lip or a tongue tie. Um, that for me is not, and I'm not, not the, an expert in diagnosing lip or tongue ties. I always refer on to someone if they need a release. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least it, it, that's one thing that you can do is you can see the presence of it in a baby's mouth. Um, but it's more, um, is there other things happening with it? So is it affecting a baby's attachment? Do mothers have um, significant nipple damage that will not go away? Um, is it affecting a baby's drainage of the breast and how they're gaining weight? Are they clicking? Um, you know, are they breaking the suction? Is there other things that are sort of compromising the breastfeeding relationship that make you think, mm, I think we need to explore what's happening in this little one's mouth? Mm. I've gone blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you still breastfeed if you're sick? Yes, for sure. And you should, because um, even though it's not very fair as mothers, we can't just rest. Um, mm. You can't, you don't want to firstly stop breastfeeding because then it's going to affect your supply and you might get mastitis or all of that. So you need to keep your breastfeeding going. Um, but it's also because you'll have antibodies um, in your, your, your breast milk to whatever sickness you have. So mm. you're going to cover your baby. So they're potentially not going to get sick at all. Isn't that amazing? That was the one thing that, well, I didn't know a lot of things before I had my son, but that was one of the things I didn't know. And that just blew my mind. Like Mm. I remember having gastro once and Mm. my mum had said, oh, are you still going to feed him? And I was like, yeah, I have to feed him because I don't want him to get sick. (laughs) And um, I know some other mums who, um, when they've been sick and they're breastfeeding one, like their baby, they've given some breast milk to their toddler or older child who wasn't breastfeeding mm. to keep them well as well. Yeah, so good. <laughs> to share is, it around. <laughs> this is the best idea ever. Yeah, it's really smart. And even if you know that they're not going to just like drink it on their own, then make a smoothie with it or yeah. put it in Weet-Bix or whatever. Just like <laughs> find a way to, to get some of your antibody packed full breast milk. So yeah, it's a really good idea. And breast milk for things like you know, cuts and grazes and sores. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, that movie, um, the My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the father puts Windex on everything. Oh, yeah. I was like that with breast milk. Like my husband had a pimple. I'm like, put some breast milk on. <laughs> Let me help you out. Exactly. Squirting it everywhere. So good. It's so good. A milk bath is also really good. Put that in your baby's. Um, yeah. Expired that you're not going to use don't waste it like yeah mate it's so good for their skin mm. yeah we did that um when my son had some eczema yeah um is it possible to have an oversupply with one baby and an under undersupply is that even a word or yeah. a, a low supply with um yeah. with another child yes it's possible because even though we have the equipment we have the boobs our babies really are the drivers of our supply. So if you have one baby that's yeah really efficient feeder and makes maintains this really abundant milk supply, it doesn't mean that you might have another baby who is a really sleepy feeder and actually doesn't stimulate your boobs to have um, you know a whole heap of milk. So 
um, yeah, it, that sort of sort of leads into the fact that it, not every breastfeeding journey is the same. And so you won't necessarily have the same problems with, with each baby. It's every, every journey is different. Mm. What's some of the worst advice that you've heard being given to a new mum? <laughs> I reckon you could probably um, write a book. <laughs> probably to, to top up with formula until your milk comes in. A lot yeah. of that, like, yeah, your, your baby's tummy's really small. You're only expressing a few drops of colostrum. You probably should give some formula just until your milk comes in. Mm. Uh, and it's like, that's not going to bring the milk in there. And that's going to totally defeat the purpose of what a baby's doing in stimulating supply. Mm. Um, I think that's really appalling advice. Um, gosh, what else? Um, sometimes I don't think women are well supported with like, if they use a nipple shield for a period of time, nipple shields are a temporary tool. They're a fantastic tool for babies that need them, mm. but they, you need to phase out a nipple shield. You go on it for several weeks and then you need a strategy on how to get off it. And women just get handed a nipple shield and like a pat on the back and they just get discharged. And mm. so a lot of mothers I meet are like, and I say to them, did anyone tell you that you know, this is, this is why you keep getting mastitis or this is why you haven't been able to maintain your milk supply and why we need to now boost it. Mm -hmm. um, it's because this wasn't supposed to be still here five months down the track. Like mm. we should have weaned off this months ago and they just weren't told. So a lot of that, I feel really frustrated that women don't get the right support. I just think the system lets women down too often and um, yeah, it's just not fair. Mm. Does the way you birth your baby impact your breastfeeding? It does, yes. Um, like we know, for example, mothers who have a cesarean, there can be just a delay in milk production, um, which isn't a problem because you are designed to produce colostrum and your baby will, will be fine. Um, but some babies can get a bit more unsettled during those first few days. Um, you, you know, just something as simple as the fact that you've got a cesarean scar, like your tummy's sore. And so mobility wise, it's harder to get up and lift your baby out of the cot. It's harder to sit up and feed. Um, things like that can affect breastfeeding. Mm. Um, but it's also like there's, you're more likely to be separated from your baby. If you have a cesarean, there can be a delay in recovery, but babies are not necessarily put immediately skin to skin. So all of these things can impact success rates with breastfeeding. Now, not beyond repair. I work with a lot of mothers who have cesareans and they do very well with their breastfeeding. Um, but it just means that we have got to consider that there's some other things going on in their story. Um, and so maybe we need to do a lot more skin to skin. We do need to do a lot more breastfeeds um, using the breast crawl first. Um, yeah, th that might be the part of it that happens. Um, but it's also to the birth, um, just sort of continuing on about that. It's also about, did your baby choose it their birthday? Um, so it's all, you know, if, if we've had an induction, depending on the gestation of the baby, like I met a mother yesterday, her baby was born at 38 weeks and he was a really small baby. They'd been monitoring him very closely because he, um, he just wasn't growing well. And he ended up, he was 2.6 kilos at 38 weeks. So he was mm. this small little baby. Um, and so he, um, has had a lot of trouble gaining weight and he's, he gets tired really mm. easily at the breast. So there's some things that it's about the birth, but there's also some things just about your scenario. Like, yeah, the size of your baby, you know, really big babies don't necessarily do great things with breastfeeding at the start either. They take time to figure it out. So mm. um, there's lots of different sort of variables with it, um, but it's just about, yeah, I think just getting help with it at the time on what, whatever's happening with you so that you can feel like you're doing all the right things. Mm. What are some signs of mastitis and what can be done to help resolve the issue? So mastitis sort of starts, it can start with some warning signs, like you can get some, um, like some tender spots in your breast where it feels really um, sore to touch. It can be red. Um, it can be lumpy. Um, that can be the start of it, or you can get no warning signs and it just literally comes on like you one minute are fine. And then you get really sick very quickly. You just feel like you've got the flu. You feel mm -hmm. like you've been hit by a bus. Um, so things to prevent, did you say, sorry, Steph, prevent or what to do if you have it? Um, let's go with both. Okay. <laughs> 
So um, well, preventing mastitis um, is just checking your boobs. Every feed, feel all the way around your boobs. Check your milk ducts. Is there anything that feels tender? Is there any lumpy spots that you think the milk has sat there for too long? And if it does, maybe doing some gentle massage to encourage the milk to flow. Mm -hmm. If you're really familiar with your boobs, you're going to be much less likely to get mastitis or block ducts. And then there's some others I meet that I that have got mastitis and I say, have you been checking your boobs? And like, no, no, I never touch my boobs. Mm, it's like <laughs> we're scared of them. Yes. You, might, you need to touch your boobs. You need to be really, really well acquainted with your boobs. These are mm. your equipment. I say this all the time. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of like the sort of one thing. If you do get mastitis, you we need to clear the blockage first and foremost. So, Heat, massage, cold packs are the things that are going to help the milk flow uh, and reduce inflammation. Sometimes you might need to do something to break up the collection because the milk goes from liquid to like toothpaste consistency. So anything that vibrates, usually I send mothers to go and have like ultrasound treatment with their physio. But if you can't go to a physio and then an electric toothbrush or if you've got a vibrator at home, just... <laughs> I was thinking, I'm like, could you use a vibrator? <laughs> you could. It will all work. So just put it very localized where that collection is and it will just help shatter the milk and it will mm -hmm. just all come, um, come away. So that's perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's other things that I'd recommend depending on if a mother needs antibiotics. Hopefully you don't because... Mm -hmm. Um, they just come with their ma a major amount of issues, which is they obviously destroy our healthy gut flora and that of our babies. They also really predispose mothers to thrush and thrush mm. is such a pain to cure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are all things that if you don't need antibiotics, if you can cure the signs of the mastitis yourself, you're much better off to do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it depends on how far gone it is and yeah, whether you need to do it. It was really funny. You just said something about um, how that particular mother was, um, you know, she wasn't touching her boobs yeah. or getting to mm -hmm. know that area very well. Mm. And um, I remember I knew about antenatally expressing, but I was just too scared to even try it. <laughs> like yeah. just nervous. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I didn't do it, but I'll definitely be doing it if I um have another baby one day but yeah. can you talk a little bit about um antenatally expressing and what that is and and some of yeah. the reasons why you would do it sure so this is to express colostrum from sort of 37 weeks is the sort of the a the time frame that we recommend it's safe to do you wouldn't do it before 37 weeks because even though it's very unlikely it could trigger premature labor um, and women always need to get medical clearance before they do this from their care provider. So I wouldn't say to just go ahead and do it. Um, but basically the idea is that your hand expressing colostrum. So you're just placing your index finger and your thumb around the outer circle of the areola and you push back into the breast, kind of hard to explain on a podcast, but <laughs> push back into the breast and then squeeze forward and bring your finger and your thumb together. And you just repeatedly do that, find a spot and stay in that position. And really what you're trying to do is just, um, yeah, get the colostrum to start to flow and you just collect it up in a syringe. And um, the reason, it's really great to do is because there's a few reasons firstly it familiarizes you with your boobs so it means that you don't need to worry about you know having to ask a midwife to do it for you um that you're going to be absolutely fine if your baby's born and you need to top them up with a bit of extra colostrum you can do it yourself you don't have to wait for them mm. um it also brings this amazing sense of confidence because if you can see that you've already got colostrum before you've even had your baby um you just it, there's so much pride in your body you just can just mm. look down and be like oh my gosh I'm I've already got this amazing substance here like this is so cool it just it makes it's a really positive thing mm. um, and then the last benefit is that it means that you've got something to take into hospital so if your baby does need some extra volume because they're unsettled or you've been cluster feeding for ages and your nipples are feeling really sore you can just say to your partner can you give this colostrum and I can just have a little bit of a breather. Mm. Um, you know, or if there's like a medical reason, if your baby loses jaundice, loses too much weight or has jaundice, um, then you can be like, if, if the hospital are pushing formula, you can say, well, I don't need that because mm. I've brought in this from home. And mm. there's no right or wrong amount. Some women will take in a couple of mils. Some women will take 50 mils. Um, it's, there's no, yeah, it's just whatever you get is mm. great. Um, and yeah, it's just such an amazing thing to take in with you. And if you don't 
get much before you give birth. It's not a sign that, you know, of any sort of issues. Definitely not. The thing with expressing colostrum is it's a real skill. And so it has been studied. The Trove University have done a study on it and um, did it specifically on mothers who had gestational diabetes. And they found that a lot of the mothers um, just couldn't get it working for them. But when the midwives did it with them, Mm. they got heaps. So that study is a good example of the fact that it's, it takes time, it takes practice and you might be like, oh, I can't get it to work, but it's just that you haven't figured out your boobs yet. Mm. Um, and so that's why it can also be helpful to ask your midwife at your um, 37 week or thereafter appointment and say, can you just teach me? And once they've shown you the pressure to apply and kind of where to position your fingers, um, that can work really well. Or it's in my video series if you otherwise wanted like a visual to be able to watch at home. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's a really great way to sort of, yeah, learn your body and get it moving. And you might not necessarily collect anything. I have still had clients who haven't collected so much, but what they've done, because it's not just about what you collect, it's actually like a really great thing for stimulation. Mm. So it's, it's still doing really big things to send signals to your boobs to say, let's get this moving. Let's make more. So, um, yeah, it's so it's, it's all good. Like it's all good. It doesn't matter if you don't get much, it's all still done great things. Yeah. Wow. I feel like you've covered so much and I I could honestly keep talking to you for hours and hours, but (laughs) I I want you, um, if you can just to talk about your documentary and what is going on with it and Mm -hmm. what it's all about and all of that. Please. Sure. Yeah. So I last year did a crowdfunding campaign in July last year. Um, we should remember all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I raised, um, my goal was to raise $34,000 and I raised thirty seven in the end, mm-hmm. um, which was very exciting. Amazing. So I, yeah, thank you. I, um, I went to South America last year and did filming with my filmmaker in Peru, Brazil and Chile. Um, and then the goal was this year we were going to Canada, Mexico and the States. But mm. then this global pandemic kind of happened and <laughs> we've had to cancel all of our travel plans. Mm. So unfortunately, um, we haven't got more international plans, obviously, until we, we know what's what with all this. Um, we did go to Sydney, though, um, and interviewed someone that's doing great things in Sydney, which I can't say too much about what she was doing, but she's from an amazing milk bank in Sydney. Mm. Um, and I was going to see Sarah Buckley. I don't know if you've met, heard of Sarah Buckley, um, but I also had an interview plan with her. So I'm hoping as soon as again, we can travel and get out of Victoria, I can mm. at least do some Australian travel and still keep working away at it mm. um, because I honestly just don't know what will happen. I don't want to not travel like, and just have to put it together with Skype interviews because I just the amazing footage we got in South America will just not look any good if we're pairing it with all these Skype interviews. Yeah. So um, I, right now I am just waiting. Yeah. I'm just kind of sitting, holding tight. There's still a lot of money in the account. So um, I've just, I've just got all of the money. Gaining still. interest, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Um, um, yeah. And I'm just hoping that I can keep going with it when, when things change. And tell me a little bit about the name of the documentary and I guess the meaning behind it and your hopes for what this will um, do for, um, for women and future generations. Sure. Yeah. So the, the documentary is called, it's called For Our Daughters. Um, and so the whole idea of it is because our, as we, we talked about earlier, global breastfeeding statistics are so low, they just continue to go down, but the formula industry grows every year. And um, it just is very clear to me that if we don't do good things to help the next generation and, and then future generations with breastfeeding, and of course I called it for our daughters because our daughters are the ones doing the breastfeeding, but it's not just about that. I mean, my sister, I've got two nephews and my sister was like, well, I still want my boys to learn about this. Um, And so it's a good, it's a great point is that it's about teaching that next generation because partners play a really amazing role in breastfeeding as well. Mm. Um, And it's about, yeah, doing what we can to unpack why is it so hard for women to breastfeed these days? What are all of the reasons and how we can turn it around is my whole, my whole hope with it. 
so amazing and I know that it will get finished one day and it will it you're will. in a little bit of limbo at the moment but I think um I've I've got I'm very optimistic that you will achieve this goal and I can't Thank wait you. to see the final product yeah oh I will I won't stop until I finished it like this is a, a minor <laughs> speed hump um but but oh absolutely I'm so excited about it I can see the whole thing like I know exactly how it's going to go um, and so, yeah, it's just now figuring out how we can sort of still do it in amongst what's happening, but still make it the showpiece that I know it will be like, and, and make sure we do it justice. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.